What's up, y'all, and welcome to a special Super Bowl Monday episode of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. Today, we've got a few Monday mailbag questions, a lot of Super Bowl talk, and then we're touching on all the sports, Major League Baseball, NBA basketball, a little bit of golf, UFC, tennis, we got it all. Episode 33 coming at you right now. Everybody and thank you for tuning in once again. I'm Landon Pangburn along with my brother and co-host Preston Pangburn. It is the day after the Super Bowl, which should be a national holiday. Luckily, I took it off anyway, so I've been chilling all day. P, how you doing, man? I'm good. I've been jealous of you all day, sitting at home, doing nothing, laying on the couch, watching TV. It truly is remarkable that it's not a national holiday. I mean, the day after the national championship, the day after the Super Bowl, both should be. But anyway, it's a a bittersweet day, Super Bowl Monday, because given the circumstances of 2020, I'm glad that the NFL was able to finish the season pretty smoothly, but it's always sad when football's over. It is definitely sad. We have a long way to go, but luckily the NFL has a pretty active offseason with free agency and trades, especially this year. And we have a lot of draft talk coming up, so that's at least good news. But want to go ahead and get to some Monday mailbag questions? Yeah, start us off. All right. The first one, this is a big one. We're starting off with a bang here. Scott Edwards wants to know, who is the bigger goat, Tom Brady or Michael Jordan? I'm going to let you kick off this one. Okay, yeah, this is really tough, but I'm going to go with my guy, Michael Jordan. I'm going with MJ because I know that Brady has now surpassed him with seven rings. MJ only has six, but there's no doubt in my mind that Michael Jordan would have seven or maybe even eight if he didn't retire for two years during the middle of his prime. He only played for 15 years in the league, which is pretty crazy when you really think about it. But the biggest driving factor for this or for me in this is just like, Michael Jordan was clearly the best player in the league. He won five MVPs. Brady won three, which is pretty solid, but I guess it's probably only those three seasons where you can unequivocally say Brady was the best quarterback in the league because a lot of the time, I mean, it was Peyton Manning, it was Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes for one or two years. Like, I don't know. I I just think you have to consistently be the best, especially, or at least at your position to be considered the GOAT. And I just think that Michael Jordan has him there. Okay, I get you there. Although I think two of your points don't really make sense to me in the GOAT debate. One being, you can't give Michael Jordan credit for the two years he was retired. I mean, that's that's his fault. He doesn't get just free rings for that. And second of all, yes, he only played 15 years and accomplished a ton in those 15 years. But I think that Tom Brady deserves some longevity. I mean, deserves credit for his longevity. 21 years in the NFL, especially, is pretty crazy. I do want to just solely focus on on-field and on-court accomplishments for this because I think there's no doubt that amongst all athletes in the history of all sports, there is no single person who's been a more global brand or more global icon than Michael Jordan. And so I think that oftentimes he gets a little bit more credit for that because even to this day, 20 years after he's retired, he's still so so often talked about for that reason. But one thing you already mentioned championships is it's seven to six, so that's close. And championships are definitely not the only reason to, to call one person a goat over the other. But I think in this case, 
it's a big deal because I think it's so much harder to sustain success in the NFL. There's so much roster turnover and coaching changes. The average career is so much shorter. The salary cap is much stricter. And I think the numbers bear that out. Like if you look in history, the fact that the winningest franchise in NFL history has six Super Bowls, whereas there's two franchises, the Lakers and the Celtics in the NBA that have won 17, just that alone tells you that it's just harder to maintain success over time in the NFL. And so the fact that Tom Brady's won seven and been to 10 is pretty absurd. And then secondly, is just these like career numbers that he has above everybody else. Like, yes, Mike, I'm not, I'm not arguing against Michael Jordan, like incredible. Okay. But he doesn't hold any career records in the NBA. He's not the all-time leading points guy. He's not the all-time leading wins guy. Like, there's guys who have won more championships than him. Tom Brady is the career Super Bowl record holder, career Super Bowl MVP record holder. Four games into next year, he's going to have the most yards in NFL history. He already has the most passing touchdowns in NFL history. He has the most playoff wins in NFL history. He has the most regular season wins in NFL history. He's 44 wins ahead of the second best quarterback of all times in terms of wins. Like, how crazy is that? He's four 11-win seasons ahead of Brett Favre, who's in second place. And then I also think that the fact of what he just did last night, which is leading a second franchise to a championship, is a big deal, too. Like, he just came into a 7-9 and team and just completely single-handedly changed the culture of that franchise and led them to Super Bowl. And for those those reasons, I'm going with Tom Brady. I totally get it, and I don't think that there's any wrong answer here, especially with the the recency of Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl last night. And I saw something today that just kind of struck me. It's crazy that Tom Brady won seven Super Bowls, and you mentioned his longevity of 21 years, but there was a 10-year break where he didn't win one in between. Mm -hmm. He didn't win one between 2005 and 2015. So to be able to you know go on that drought but still win seven is just nuts. But a quick counterpoint I want to make to this is that Michael Jordan, you know, playing in the NBA, you got to play on both ends of the floor. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big point here because Michael Jordan was not only one of the best scorers, like he was an absolute assassin at the end of the game. He had one year where he averaged 37 points a game. I mean, he would give you 40 or 50 points regularly. But on the other end, he was also like a two-time defensive player of the year, wasn't he? Like he was a lockdown defender guarding the other team's best player in clutch moments and, you know, all season long during the season. So that's another element to this argument is that Jordan was just so great on both ends of the floor. And then one stat that I saw this week, which I just thought was crazy, is that Tom Brady's offense has never scored a first quarter touchdown in the Super Bowl. In his nine Super Bowls, his offense scored a total of three points. And so for him to have seven Super Bowls, even though he did that, I feel like is just that points out that he was the beneficiary of always playing with really good defenses. So I just think that that's another element to this as well. Michael Jordan only won a championship with another top 50 player in NBA history on his team. So I think it's the same thing. It's a team sport. You have to have good players around you to win. That's just how it is in every sport on every team. Yeah, I, I get that. But also in the NF or in the NBA, you're more impactful only being, you know, one of five guys on the floor. So I don't know. You could debate this for you could. This, hours this could be an hours. entire episode for sure. Right. So there's no wrong answer here, but thank you for the question, Scott. That's a good one. That is a good one. My, I actually have one more point. My last okay. point is that Tom Brady now is the undeniable goat in his sport and no one can debate it. That's not the case with Michael Jordan anymore. I think that people are now making more realistic arguments, at least, that he's that he might not be, that someone else might be. So I think for that reason, Tom well, Brady. Well, since you're bringing up LeBron, I, I have to make this point. Michael Jordan, 6-0 and in the finals. Tom Brady, 7-3 and in Super Bowls. I mean, how do you explain those three losses? Get out of here, dude. That's <laughs> just so dumb. It's so dumb. We have to move on now before I get triggered. Well, no, that brings me to my next point. I mean, if Tom Brady lost the Super Bowl last night, is Tom Brady a Hall of Famer? 
Okay, I'm sorry. Let's no, no, you're good. The one thing we need to point out too, though, because you texted me this last night, is Tom Brady's numbers since he turned 37 are enough alone to make him a Hall of Famer. Justin's 37. He has four Super Bowls since then, and his his playoff numbers are better than anyone else in NFL history since then. It's it's just crazy. Yeah, it was funny. Max Kellerman, Kellerman made a joke about it a couple weeks ago. Did you see that? The Cliff one? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. he predicted, I think, three years ago that Tom Brady was about to inevitably fall off a cliff because he was 40 years old. And he tweeted like last week or whenever it was that Tom Brady has put together a Hall of Fame resume since he made yes. that comment, yes. which is just insane for his age. It but absurd. good for him. All right, let's move on to this next question. This one is from Michael Ruskell. How much did the Super Bowl last night change the future prospects of the two respective offensive coordinators? This is an interesting one. Lando, what you think? That is a good question. And I think my answer is that it doesn't change it a whole lot for either one of them because I think both of their futures are still bright. I don't think Eric Bieniemy is just going to be kind of all of a sudden cast out, cast aside just because of this one game while he's leading really, really good offenses for entire seasons. He's been to two Super Bowls in a row and won one. I know he hasn't gotten the job the last couple of years despite getting a lot of interviews, but I still think he's going to get a head coaching job in the very near future. Byron Leftwich, I think his future as a coach is very, very bright. This was only his second season as an offensive coordinator, so he's still really young in the coaching game, but I think everyone expects him to kind of climb the ranks in the near future and eventually be head coach maybe within the next couple of years. He's He's a stud. Yeah, I'm with you. And I was thinking about this, especially in regards to Eric Bieniemy. I mean, Andy Reid's 62 years old. He's very established now, Super Bowl champion. I don't know how many years he has left. So when I think about Bieniemy, I just don't know. Like he's had probably 10 head coaching interviews and for some reason or another hasn't gotten a job yet. And I think he could soon elsewhere, but at some point it might make sense for him to just wait it out and take over for Andy Reid when he retires. So I don't know. Uh, it, Eric Bieniemy is an interesting one to keep an eye on. I know a lot of people have been clamoring for him to get a head job and see how he does. But like you said, Byron left, which is a really interesting one too. Uh, he, he feels so young just because like I literally remember him in the broken leg game playing mm-hmm. quarterback at Marshall when he was getting carried down the field by his offensive lineman. But Byron Leftwich, I mean, Bruce Arians was fighting for him towards the end of the season saying he should have gotten more love in the coaching carousel. So I don't know. I think he's a, a top name that could get interviews next year too. Yeah, he's very young in the coaching game. I think this is only his fourth year total coaching. I think he went from like quarterbacks coach to interim offensive coordinator or whatever to offensive coordinator the last year and this year so yeah four years coaching and already being at least talked about or considered for a head coaching job is very very fast he is a star in the making yeah and he's 41 years old and we've kind of entered into this era where everyone wants that young offensive mind you see the model of sean mcveigh kyle shanahan zach taylor i mean joe brady joe brady all of them i mean that's kind of the trend so byron leftwich could definitely be up for a job next year but one thing i want to point out is i was looking through the list of nfl teams today and this this offseason seven teams hired a new head coach there's just not going to be very many jobs available next year who off the top of your head next year do you think will like have their coach on the hot seat mike mccarthy (laughs) (laughs) you think so yeah he's done (laughs) okay see i didn't even consider that an option i i was looking through the list and i have three that like even have a chance and that was the broncos with vic fangio the bears with matt nagy and maybe the vikings with mike zimmer if they choose to finally reboot but outside of that i like mike zimmer i do too but outside of that like i just think it's going to be a small 
hiring cycle for head coaches. So I, I don't know. I don't have great hopes for some of these guys next year. I think, though, that in a lot of seasons, you would say that going into it. And then inevitably, teams are going to just throw out absolute duds despite having large expectations. And then coaches become on the hot seat. Coaches don't always have to go into the season on the hot seat. So I think more will kind of come to the surface as time goes on. So I think it'll probably be about average, whatever, four to seven coaches like it is every year. Yeah, we'll see. And then Todd Bowles, I mean, he really made a name for himself he last sure night did. too. Well, not made a name for himself, but people had been talking about him as someone who would reemerge as a head coaching candidate because he did not do well in his first stint. But I mean, his defense, killing it. Yeah, they sure did. And on that note, let's go ahead and just dive into talking about this game. That defense for the Bucks was the story of the game, despite the fact that Tom Brady in this GOAT talk and the Super Bowl MVP, that defense was just locked down. In retrospect, I don't know what you think about this. In retrospect, I feel like this is one of those games that I should have seen coming a little bit more. I think that that Eric Fisher left tackle injury ended up being huge. The fact that the Bucks could take out and, and rush Patrick Mahomes with four anytime they wanted to, didn't have to blitz, drop seven in coverage. The Chiefs just had no chance on offense. They couldn't get anything going the entire night. The Bucks were everywhere. Devin White and Levante David are just nasty. Shaq Barrett and JPP off the edge are nasty. That defense was just really, really good. And the Chiefs couldn't get anything going. What'd you think about that? Yeah, we talked about it last week, how no matter who you bet on, you were going to feel really dumb when they lost. And that's exactly how I feel. I put big money on the Chiefs. I thought that they were going to win. I thought that you know, they would be able to overcome those offensive line injuries. And I just, like I, like you just said, I don't know how I overlooked it. Mm-hmm. It's always easy, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but why didn't Vegas adjust the line enough to tell me that this was going to happen? <laughs> I'm so mad at them for that. But yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes was just absolutely running for his life the whole game. And it was very apparent, but it was even more apparent after I saw a couple of stats today. One was that Tom Brady was pressured five times. Patrick Mahomes was pressured 38 times. Yep just in his face all game and then Chubb sent me a stat that Patrick Mahomes on his dropbacks last night ran 497 yards before throwing passes Mm -hmm. did you see that well I I sent you the little graphic last night that was like tracking data and if you guys could see this I wish I could show it to you right now but there's like a little tracker of out of the shotgun how much Brady ran around and how much Mahomes ran around and Brady's are all like one or two steps and getting rid of the ball Mahomes has squiggly lines all over the field he was just running for his life like you said the entire time it was crazy yeah and it's funny seeing some of the replays I mean they were just absolute jailbreaks like it looks mm-hmm. like the Chiefs were running a screen or something how they just immediately broke through Vita Vea just wreaking havoc in the middle and then those fast guys coming off the edge I mean it was just a nightmare for Mahomes all night and I don't have any context for that stat about 497 yards but that sure feels like a ton. That feels like a lot. It's just a reminder of when you can rush the passer, the game changes. If you can get pressure with four guys, the other team's in big, big trouble. Yeah, and shout out to the Bucks defense just everyone we mentioned like the front seven but the back end too Carlton Davis at corner Antoine Winfield played really well on Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill like they just have so much versatility back there and again Todd Bowles drew up a masterful game plan and he really outcoached Andy Reid in this one he sure did Devin White was all over the field making tackles I think he led the game with 12 tackles Levante David played great especially in coverage on Travis Kelsey one-on-one I know Travis Kelsey kind of went off and got more catches in the second half but in the first half when it was still a tight game Levante David played 
great man-to-man coverage against him. Just a masterful performance by this defense. It was, and you saw at the end of the game when Antoine Winfield hit Tyreek with the peace sign. I loved that. Well, first of all, I loved the chippiness throughout the game. I loved the Tom Brady back and forth with Tyron Matthew. That was awesome. And I loved the peace sign after Tyreek gave him the peace sign in the regular season. That was sick. Yeah, it was awesome seeing kind of the chippiness and all the, the passion in the game last night in a stadium full of cardboard cutouts. Just guys really going at it. Hey, we did have a decent amount of fans, though. I was excited about that. It's just so nice having some fans and some real noise in stadiums again. Yes, I agree with you. And we can't take for granted that the NFL did the season pretty seamlessly. Like They did. There was a lot of doubt at the beginning with the Titans kind of being stupid idiots and having a game postponed or two. And I don't know, people were just thinking that without a bubble like the NBA did, that this might not have been possible. But after week four, I mean, they kind of crushed it. I was a doubter too. I mean, we really only had the entire season one kind of disastrous situation with the Broncos having to play with no quarterbacks, which was not ideal. But I was a doubter personally. I didn't think we were going to be able to get through this season, at least not with some delays. And we did it. We did it. So the Tampa Bay Bucks are Super Bowl champions, and I am an idiot for betting against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. How'd the rest of your betting night go? So I went two and six on my props, nice. but luckily those were two of the bigger payouts. One of them was the Chiefs field goal being the first score of the game. I'm surprised that that was as big of an underdog as it was. Yeah, I don't know. It seemed like from the lines that they just weren't expecting a ton of field goals in general. They just kind of thought that both teams, if they got into scoring range, would go for fourth downs Mm because Andy Reid obviously does and Bruce Arians. Maybe they thought he was going to be playing catch up against this dynamic Chiefs offense that ended up scoring nine points and screwing me over. But (laughs) anyway, so I won the one with uh, Butker field goal first. And then I also won leading rusher of the game being playoff Lenny. Playoff Lenny. That was was a lock. Yeah, that was a lock of the century. He, He asked now to be called Super Bowl Lenny, by the way. That's kind of cool. Uh, remind me, last week, what was your pick for like Stone Cold Lock of the Week? Oh, man. I think it was <laughs> the first touchdown being scored by jersey number under 17. Yeah, so, it didn't work out for yeah, you. Gronk got me good on that one. So, I, I thought I had it big time with Tyreek, Mike Evans, and Godwin. Yeah. What was tough. yours? Mine was mine was the easiest bet of the year, dude. No joke. It was the one that was the uh, there was, there would be a scoring drive that took less time than the national anthem. Wasn't even close, dude. Just smoked it. That was a no sweater. It was easy. Oh, a scoring drive that took less time than the national anthem. So the national anthem took like whatever, a little bit over two minutes and the Bucks had a scoring drive that lasted 55 seconds. Easy. Okay. That was at the end of the first half. Yeah. See, I wonder if it would have happened if not for that sense of urgency at the end. But I that's mean, the whole thing though, is that end of halves, you go for quick touchdowns and quick scores. That's just how it is. It's yeah, like, I mean, it could have just as easily like they could have needed out, but I guess after what happened with Scotty Miller against the Packers, Byron Leftwich was obviously going to go for it again. But yeah, I think that my lock bets last week were that jersey number under 17, Chiefs money line, uh, <laughs> over four and a half sacks, over on punts. What, so, was the, what was the sack total? I think my friends and our listeners know to fade me at this point Fair there. Enough. So I, I think we're good. Do you know what the sack total was combined last night? It ended night? up being four. Wow. That's crazy with how much pressure there was on Mahomes. Oh, Mahomes is unsackable for the most part. It's just he he ran for his life 30 yards backwards and threw it out of bounds. Yeah. Or just had like a crazy diving throw that he somehow got 30 yards downfield and hit one of his receivers in the face mask. Yeah, I think were, that happened a couple times. There were lots of throws off the face mask last night. Did you see some of the still images of his throws? 
They're absurd. He is ridiculous. He's he's like literally sideways. <laughs> yeah. But he gets the ball thirty yard downfield. I mean, it's it. not even possible. Yeah, he's pretty impressive even when throwing incomplete passes, which is which is tough to do. Yeah, well, one last thing that I have on the Super Bowl, I don't know if you have more, but I have to shout out myself for picking the Washington football team to upset the Bucks in the first round of the playoffs. I got to give myself a pat on the back for that one. That's pretty well special. Well done, sir. Although, how about the fact that uh, your boy Taylor Henneke had more yards than three Hall of Fame quarterbacks against the Bucks? Yes, that's pretty much what I was getting at when yes. I predicted that Fair upset. Enough. <laughs> no, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I thought that the Bucks wouldn't be able to go on the road and accomplish this feat by getting to the Super Bowl. So I was like, might as well take him out early. This would be a, a nice underdog bet. Might be able to win some money on this money line. But yeah, he goes on to beat, who was it, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers and Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes. <laughs> yeah. Freaking unbelievable. So ridiculous. Real quick. brief reviews on national anthem halftime show national anthem and halftime show well first of all you saw the whole debacle with the over under on the national anthem i did also that guy's an idiot but go ahead and talk about it yes i agree he's totally an idiot so the over under on the national anthem i think was like a minute and 58 seconds yeah i saw 59 but yeah whatever and i joked last week about how there's always these stupid hot tips that aren't real that come out but people think like oh i know a guy who works with the wife of someone who pours the gatorade and it's going to be red like Mm -hmm. that dumb stuff but this guy tweeted out like a rehearsal from outside the stadium of the national anthem and it was two minutes and 16 seconds so next thing you know all of the sports books online take down the national anthem prop and it re-emerges at two minutes and 16 seconds so yes i think you're saying an idiot or he's an idiot because instead of telling the world that why did he not just bet the yeah, house just rip ten thousand dollars on it don't tell anybody yeah bet your life savings i mean that was like an 18 second cushion that was an absolute lock he just gave it away and ruined it for everybody including himself yeah what an idiot but what did you think about the singing of it itself? I thought she was good. I honestly didn't know who she was, but I thought it was impressive. It was good. I liked the combo. It was kind of like two very different styles meshing together very well. I loved it. Yeah, and then I don't know why people were complaining about the weekend's halftime show. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was highly entertaining. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I'm not going to be a harsh critic of the halftime show. I'm just trying to be entertained, and I was. Yeah, and I feel like everyone... or. Bruno Mars is like the just the type of music that you hear like at every wedding. He's kind of like the perfect entertainer for a Super Bowl halftime show that just kind of people can agree on. It's fun, feel good music. And The Weeknd's kind of like the next closest thing to that genre-ish. Yeah, he's more of my guy than like Lady Gaga was or like J-Lo <laughs> and Shakira, right? Like, Lady Gaga's not your guy? Lady, Lady Gaga's not my guy. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, yeah, I, I thought the halftime show was pretty good. I mean, The weekend didn't incidentally expose one of his nipples, so that's always good. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Praise God for that. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. All right, anyway, what do we got next? I don't know. I'm also relieved that his face is back to normal. Yeah, I... I, I <laughs> <laughs> We're done. We're going off the rails here. All right, let's move on. <laughs> All right, well, in other NFL news, I want to talk a little bit about the quarterback carousel that is presumably going to happen this NFL offseason. Obviously, everybody knows about the Rams-Lions trade with Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff trading places, but now apparently the Wentz market is heating up. Adam Schefter is reporting that a trade is imminent. My opinion is that this was leaked from the Eagles. They're trying to create some kind of sense of urgency between the Bears and Colts, who are 
I guess, in a bidding war over him. What do you think about this? Well, word on the street is that the asking price by the Eagles for Carson Wentz is two first-round picks. And if any NFL GM gives up two first-round picks for Carson Wentz, they should be immediately fired and publicly shamed because he is a bum. Oh, if someone gives up two first-rounders from Wentz, they're going to get arrested. Yeah, they need to. You can't trust them. My goodness. You can't have those people roaming the streets. So I am not... I'm not going to be the biggest Carson Wentz hater because I know that part of his struggles this past year were related to team context. His receivers are terrible. His offensive line was very injured. But at the same time, he's not good. He led the NFL in turnovers despite not starting the last five games of the year, which is you can't be having that in the NFL. He's throwing the ball to the other team more than his own team. He could be a serviceable quarterback with a good team around him and a good head coach, but he is not the kind of guy that I'm going to ransom my future for. Agreed. And I think the best spot for him personally is back with Frank Reich with the Colts. I mean, that was his offensive coordinator the year that they went to the Super Bowl. I think they have a really good relationship. So that's where I think he should go as long as the price is right. But it sounds like the Bears are the heavy favorite. I think they were like minus 350 to get him last I saw. And I saw a local reporter out of Chicago. I mean, she verified, seems like a credible source. She said that she was hearing that the trade compensation for Wentz that the Bears would give up would be Nick Foles, Tariq Cohen, and a first round pick which I thought was interesting. And I saw someone make the point that trading him for Nick Foles, <laughs> of course, there's additional compensation, but is just so disrespectful. Yes, I mean, the guy lost his job to Foles. Foles goes on and wins the Super Bowl and kind of becomes the more beloved quarterback in Philadelphia. He's and a then, statue outside the and stadium. And Wentz has to walk by his statue every day into work. <laughs> like, that is pretty tough. I, I imagine that was pretty tough on uh, Carson Wentz mentally. So anyway, it sounds like this trade is going to happen as soon as this week, but I don't know. I, I still, I am of the opinion that the Eagles are trying to drum up this interest and I don't really know what the rush for these other teams would be. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't I don't see them getting as much as they want for him. It just can't happen. He's not good enough, especially with how many other quarterbacks are on the move in the market going to be drafted this year. I think the teams are going to wait, if anything, before they give up that much for him. Right, and I saw another funny tweet about this, and it was like, trading for Carson Wentz when Deshaun Watson is available is a lot like trading up for Mitchell Trubisky when Deshaun Watson is available, (laughs) and I kind of agree with that. Yeah, facts. Yeah, but also, apparently, the Raiders are getting calls about Derek Carr. The Jets might be willing to trade Sam Darnold, especially if they plan on taking a quarterback with the number two overall pick. It came out that the Panthers offered the number eight overall pick for Matthew Stafford. Washington football team is apparently trying to upgrade at quarterback and might be willing to give up their first rounder. So a ton of missing pieces here and something that I have not told you about yet, but me and a small group of friends, we do a little pool about pretty much everything that happens in sports. I like that. And we're doing a week one prediction for the quarterback of all 32 teams, just whoever the week one quarterback is starter. So any advice for me here? Any prognostication about where guys are going? I don't think Joe Burrow is going to start week one for the Bengals. I do not have Joe Burrow penciled in for the Bengals, but hopefully the guys I'm competing against are not listening to this because I feel like at least one of them would have just gone with Burrow and kind of forgotten. Dang it, my bad. (laughs) Um, Man, there's a lot going on here. I think here's my opinion, and this might just be a, a, a personal thing and not necessarily prognosticating what they're going to do. I like Sam Darnold staying with the Jets. I'm a bigger believer in Sam Darnold than I think most people are. And I've said that before. I think that once he gets a good head coach and a little bit better context around him, that he, we're just, it's too early to judge him and just cast him aside. So I, I think Sam Darnold sticking with the Jets. Um, I think they're going to end up going with just 
other guys for those top picks and trying to surround him with the best team they can. I think you're right. I like the Carson Wentz to the Colts deal. Uh, who else are you talking about? Who else are you asking about? Well, first, I want to say about Sam Darnold, I, I see both sides of this coin because I agree with the notion that you should not start a rebuild with a quarterback because that's what the Jets did and just surrounded a talented quarterback like Sam Darnold with an awful team and he just couldn't do anything. But the other side of this is he's at the end of his rookie contract and it becomes time to pay him. Like, How, I, who, how do you treat that contract? I have no clue. How do you gauge what his worth is? Yeah, but that might be a good thing. If you can lock him down long-term for not as much money because of that, then that's an even bigger positive. I guess so, but you also don't want to end up in the same boat as these teams now trying to get rid of Jared Goff and Carson Wentz and end up having an overpaid quarterback who hadn't really proven himself. I don't know. That's a tough one. It It just depends on what they could get for him. But yeah, I guess my biggest question here is Derek Carr, because I just, I think the Raiders trading him does make a lot of sense, especially given the contract he's on. I think he's making like 25 million a year, which is not a lot, pretty similar to the Stafford deal. I mean, why would the Bears not try to go out and get him or the Colts? I mean, that makes sense to me, yeah, trying to replace sense. Phil Rivers. I kind of like Derek Carr to the Niners, too. That could be a fun fit, right? Yeah, and I saw a little bit about Kirk Cousins maybe to the Niners reuniting with Kyle Shanahan. Like, I don't think it makes sense for the Vikings to do that, but I don't know. I, I just, I, I like I said before, I'm really hoping that this is a new era in the NFL with a little bit more movement on quarterbacks because it's so much fun. There are a lot of moving pieces. The more we talk about this, the more I realize I have no idea what the next year, what next year in the NFL is going to look like. like. Everyone's going to be all over the place. It's just a mad scramble right now. Yeah. Well, can I put you on the spot since I've got to submit my uh, 32 team quarterback pool by Friday? What you got? Week one quarterback, Houston Texans. Hmm. I I really don't think it's going to be Deshaun Watson because I think even if he's on the roster, they're not he's not going to play. He's going to refuse to play. Does he have it in him to go full James Harden? Like, is he well, capable personality-wise of just showing up to the building but being an ass? No. No, he's not. He's too good of a guy for that. I think he would sit out. I really do because I think he is he's a very principled guy, and I think that he firmly just really doesn't want to play for the Texans anymore. He's out on that organization. So I think he would sit but I don't think he would play and just, I don't think football is a sport you can do that. I don't think you can play and, and you only go halfway. Oh, I think he might sit out too, but like after losing all of the money for sitting out all of camp and then you start losing game checks, like those are fat paychecks. Yeah, but he's got so much money though. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I've been torturing myself in my own brain about who to go with for the Texans on this one. There's just so much of a trickle down effect throughout this whole thing. There really is. <laughs> like you get one thing wrong and it's really tough. Cam Newton. Cam Newton? I mean, dude, he, he could start for somebody. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It might just be like, hey, let's really hope Deshaun plays, but let's get someone behind him just in case but we don't have to pay a lot of money to. I don't know. Cam <laughs> Newton, maybe. So there are guys floating out there that it's like, I'm thinking about the Bengals, like you mentioned with Joe Burrow. I mean, do the Bengals just ride with one of their backups, Ryan Finley or Brandon Allen, or do they go get someone like Cam Newton or uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick to start for four or five, six weeks until Burrow can come back. Josh Rosen. So the, the Niners I came mean, out today and said they wanted Rosen back, which who knows what the heck goodness. that means. Yeah, I have no idea. This is crazy. I need to actually like sit down and try to like pencil these things in and play around with it and try to fit everybody in a slot before I go just like making predictions off the top of my head because this is tough. 
yeah, I'll send you my Excel sheet so you can play around with it. I'm curious to know your opinion. Deal. But I'm looking an, forward to getting after it. Yeah, and another one that I'm really interested in is the Panthers. Like, if if it's true that they offered the number eight overall pick for Stafford, like that's like semi going all in. They're going they're going full send. And but, I I love Matt Rule. I mean, I, I think that too. what he and Joe Brady are doing there in year one already is pretty incredible. I think he's building a good culture there, and we like him from Baylor. Laurel School, yep. um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like that just seems a little nuts. They've got pieces, man. Like they've got, they're not that far away from being a, a playoff team. I think you you get a legit quarterback in there, like a difference making quarterback, and they're they're a playoff team. Especially with Drew Brees leaving, the Falcons are not very good right now. Obviously, the Bucks are going to be really tough, but they're a potential wild card in that division. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I like the Panthers going forward. And we mentioned um, their previous draft last year. They spent all seven picks or however many they had all on defense. defense. See, we talked about you don't start a rebuild with a quarterback. I think that's genius. Like just build the defense, get a lot of talent on that side of the ball. And then the next year, try to go all in on a quarterback. I mean, I like it. That's a good strategy yeah. in my mind. I'll be rooting for the Panthers. I think it'd be a fun up-and-coming team to root for, and everyone lo- loves CMC, so why not? Right. Okay, well, more on the quarterback carousel later, but last thing I want to talk about in the NFL, the odds for the 2021 Super Bowl are out. You want to hear them? I would love to hear them. Pretty heavy favorite, Chiefs plus 500. Next is the Bucks at plus 800, because, or, and it's funny because earlier today they were plus 1,200, so people... We're betting on yeah. them, and I guess that got adjusted real quick. So Chiefs plus 500, Bucks plus 800, Packers plus 1,200, and then the next three teams all at plus 1,500 are Bills, Rams, Niners. Anything strike you there? Who, who's your money on? I'm not going to go with the Chiefs because I got burned this year by trying to pick the the returning Super Bowl loser. And like you said, just things happen. It's tough. It's really hard to make it, especially to three Super Bowls in a row. So I don't think the Chiefs are going to win it. I don't think the Bucks are going to win it because repeating is so hard. I'm going to go with those lower odds. The two teams that stick out the most to me, and I know this is just partially because they've been in the news recently, are the Rams, number one, putting in Matthew Stafford instead of Jared Goff. That is, a, I think, a pretty sizable upgrade, and they are a dangerous, dangerous team with that defense. And then I just love the Bills, man. Another step forward for the Bills. Another year of experience for Josh Allen. That team should be returning pretty much all of their key key contributors. So the Bills and the Rams are the two that stick out to me the most. Yeah, given the odds, I like the Packers at plus 1,200. I really hope that they finally go out and get Aaron Rodgers a legit number two receiver, whoever that may be, you know, whether it's free agency or in the draft. Just do something. I think that's kind of the last missing piece for that offense to get them over the top. And then... Also with the odds, I kind of like the 49ers at plus 1,500 because if you take that now and then they do something at quarterback, I mean, it doesn't have to be necessarily as drastic as Deshaun Watson, but I think even like Kirk Cousins could be a huge upgrade for them. Derek Carr, you never know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I like Niners. That is a fun fun team. I think the Niners could very well be back in the picture next year. I also think before we move on from the NFL, we need to at least mention, mention the award winners. Aaron Rodgers won MVP. Aaron Donald won Defensive Player of the Year. What else we got? I don't know, but about Aaron Donald. So people were upset that TJ Watt didn't win it. And so they put up these stat comparisons talking about like sacks and pressures and tackles for loss. And TJ Watt was ahead of Aaron Donald and all of them. But then someone pointed out like, this is not something in favor of TJ Watt. This is in favor of Aaron Donald because it's showing the fact that he as an interior defensive lineman has normalized comparing his stats to those exactly. of edge rushers which is insane exactly that's that's the craziest part about Aaron Donald is that he does all that from a position that nobody else even remotely comes cl- close to doing that from so yeah Aaron Donald's a monster TJ Watt is a monster too but Aaron Donald deserved it yeah TJ Watt was my preseason pick for defensive player of the year though so 
it's tough. Tough for me. Yep. But anyway, yeah, who else we got? Kevin Stefanski for head coach of the year, which very well deserved. The Browns took a huge step forward, got back to the playoffs, and won a game and almost beat the Chiefs. So uh, that was huge. Justin Herbert, offensive rookie of the year, I believe. Yeah, should have been Justin Jefferson in my opinion, but either way, can't go wrong. And then defensive rookie of the year. Chase Young. Yes, deserved. Well deserved. He's a monster. Yeah, he's a freak. He's going to be around for a while. He, he might set some sack, re- sack records. Yep. Although I also love Antoine Winfield Jr. Made a huge difference and won a Super Bowl. So pretty good yeah. season for him. He's the man. And he threw up a sick peace sign at Tyreek Hill. Yep, my favorite. RIP. Right. Done with NFL? Yeah, that's it. You want to move on to some Major League Baseball? Yeah, we got some Major League Baseball news. The biggest news of the week in baseball was that Trevor Bauer signed a deal to go to the Los Angeles Dodgers, which kind of pisses me off because they're so stacked. It's like a three-year deal, but he's got an opt-out clause after every year, and I think this first year he's getting paid $40 million for the season. What did you think about this one? Well, the only thing that I liked about it is that Bob Nightingale reported the day earlier that he was signing with the Mets. So I love that he left our division rival Mets at the altar because their fans (laughs) were really upset about that, especially because now that now they've missed out on a couple guys in free agency that they thought they were going to get George Springer and now Bauer. But yeah, this this rotation now, Walker Bueller, Trevor Bauer, Clayton Kershaw, and then presumably David Price and Dustin May. Yes, and they even have Julio Arias and Tony Gonsolin are pretty good too. They've got like seven, six starting pitchers. Yeah, they're Gosh. that is a nuts rotation. It so is. I'm I'm happy he's not with the Mets. I'm sad for the Braves because last year in the NLCS up three one might have been their best chance to make it to the World Series and get past this Dodgers team, but I don't know. The the Dodgers <laughs> might be relatively unbeatable, but since I mentioned the Braves, the other piece of news, Marcelo Zuna back to the Braves on a four year sixty five million dollar deal. Fired up about that. I know he's only been with the Braves for a year, but he's already a fan favorite. I freaking love that guy. Yeah, he's cool on and off the field. Like I love his kind of antics too, the little hand motions he makes and the selfies he takes and running third base in the dugout he's just kind of like a he fits really well with the culture of the Braves even before he got there they started to become known for like kind of their young exuberance with guys like Ronald Acuna and Ozzy just having fun playing baseball and he fits really well with that so I just love that and obviously his right-handed power which they desperately need behind Freddie Freeman so great fit with this team glad he's back gonna make another run of the World Series yeah, I mean, he protects Freddie Freeman hitting four behind him in the lineup or three, depending on where Freddie is. He he just injected life into that locker room. And yeah, him being kind of a 30-year-old salty vet, but also a Hispanic guy, native Spanish speaker, good mentor for the young guys like Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies. I love him. Glad he's back. Let's go. All right. Is that it for Major League Baseball? Yeah, you got some NBA talk. Yeah, so two big transactions in the NBA. The Knicks traded for Derrick Rose and the Nets added <laughs> What Noah, year is it? The Nets added Noah Vonley. So do you think either of those moves put those puts those teams over the top? <laughs> no, I, I actually think it's just pure nonsense from the Knicks perspective because they have a couple of the youngest or a couple of the best young guards in the league and Emmanuel Quickly, who that fan base is falling in love with, and then they got RJ Barrett. Who else who's their other guard that I'm forgetting? They are irrelevant in my mind. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Sorry to Sam for that. But yeah, they just they have a bunch of young guards that like need playing time. What the hell does Derrick Rose do for them other than take minutes away from young guys? Yeah, I don't know. Makes no sense. They're they're they are the worst run organization in sports, and I don't think you can convince me otherwise. (laughs) Wow, that's that's pretty tough. But yeah, I guess James Dolan. Everyone hates him. But yeah, then Noah Vonley, absolute stud. 
big big deal. For <laughs> the last time I heard Noah Vonley's name was after he got drafted in the lottery. Well, I guess right before he got drafted in the lottery, um, he measured as one of the biggest hands in the history of the NBA. And I haven't heard a word about him since then. So I guess his hands haven't really helped him a whole lot. I guess not. Bigger than Kawhi Leonard's? I think claw. it's like, it's legit like Kawhi, Giannis, and Noah Vonley, biggest hands in NBA history. Interesting. Yeah. Did you see? Great, think, <laughs> great stat. Yeah. <laughs> did you see Kawhi Leonard? I think he recently did an interview on one of the late night shows. I think it was Jimmy Kimmel, but Kimmel was asking him like, you have huge hands. Is there anything like where this is ever a burden just like in everyday life? And Kawhi, you know him, he doesn't mm-hmm. have much of a personality, but he just like dead face said, yeah, I can't put my hands in my pockets. <laughs> <laughs> like, With straight face. Yeah. Just like pretty much any pair of pants, his hands just don't fit in his pockets. It's like, that's tough. Kawhi. That sounds super tough, though. I, yeah, kind of I guess sad. it's not something I ever would have thought about, but interesting, I guess. Yeah, that's one of those where you're like, you feel really bad for huge, tall people who don't play professional basketball. Like, I don't feel bad for Kawhi because he's made hundreds of millions of dollars off of this. But if you're like six eight and you can't fit your hands in your pockets and you're really unathletic, like that sucks. Yeah, it's not ideal. <laughs> All right, move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do we got here? Well, that does it for Major League Baseball. Now, we actually have two more Monday mailbag questions that we need to get to now. So this next one is also from Michael Ruskell. He wants to know, what were your thoughts on National Signing Day? And did you know that South Carolina had the 76th ranked class in the country? Wow, that is really, really bad. I did not know the number was 76, but I knew that it was not going well after they had a horrible season and fired their coach and had an interim coach for the last few games. It wasn't going to be... A very good offseason for them anyways, but yeah, that's tough. My thoughts on National Signing Day, my first thought is that this February National Signing Day has gone so far down the drain, like when they opened it up to having this early signing period in December, I always thought that that was going to take some of the attention away from the February one. I never expected it to be a complete, it's like a 99% shift everybody signs in December and there's like two guys left on signing day like Georgia who had one of the top five recruiting classes in the country depending on what site you look at signed nobody on national signing day zero people it's just kind of a weird thing the one takeaway I got from it which just pisses me off is that Alabama signed what many are considering to be the greatest recruiting class in the history of college football so here we go again yeah you hate to see it the two-headed monster might be becoming a one-headed monster again here soon but did you see it came out a week or two ago the leaked Nick Saban recruiting video no what you got it was pretty sick. You, you haven't seen this? No. Okay, I need to show this to you, but it was pretty incredible. So some recruit was having a Zoom meeting with Nick Saban, and he recorded his recruiting pitch. And of course, he jumps into all the things that you would expect, like, you know, we've been to the national championship nine out of the last 12 years. We've won it six out of the last 11, been to all these playoffs, all this type of stuff, whatever. But then he went on to talk about how like other schools would negatively recruit against Alabama by saying, you know, you're not going to play there until you're a junior. And he was like, well, all they're really telling you when they say that is that Alabama is better because we're deeper. But the cool part that I thought about this was he was talking about like I think he was talking to a defensive back. So he was like, you talk to anyone who's played here, like go ask Marlon Humphrey and he'll tell you like he didn't get early playing time, but he was guarding Amari Cooper in practice every day for three years. Like, wow, that'll make you better. That is so absurd. <laughs> yeah. And he went on to talk about Cam Robinson. He's like, he spent three years every day blocking just a variety of first round defensive linemen. It's like, so if you're practicing five days a week against guys that are better than the ones you're going to play in the game, then why is it a bad thing if you're not actually getting playing time? 
because you still practice hard. I mean, you're playing football against the best. So I don't know. It was a really cool recruiting pitch. So I got to show yeah. that to you. I mean, like, there's a reason they get everybody. Like, that's it. Like, that's just so sick. The the crazy part, and I, I say this all the time, is all you have to do is get the ball rolling like that. Like, now it's just an unstoppable thing because they can say these things. It's just the hard part is just getting it going in the first place. But now that it's going, it just doesn't stop. Yeah, it's not great. And then my next thought about this was like, Nick Saban had that recruit killed immediately, right? Like, you can't record his private conversations and blast him online like yeah, that. Yeah, that's not that's not a great look. He's probably yeah, he's probably going to be running a lot in practice if he's on if he's on Alabama now. Oh, there's no way that they still went after him after that. <laughs> I'm <laughs> who serious. Is, who like, is I, it? Who is it? I, I don't know. We need to figure that out. But he's probably in witness protection now. All right. Well, let's move on to the last question. All right. Last Monday mailbag question. This one is from Jordan Fulton. Who is your dark horse to win the Australian Open? A little bit of tennis talk. Lando, what you got here? Uh, Dark horse is tough, especially in men's tennis, because it seems like there's no dark horses, like the favorites win every tournament, right? It's the same few guys all the time. But if I have to go with somebody, I'm going to go with Nick Kyrgios just because he is a psycho and it'd be kind of fun to see him win because he will have multiple tantrums along the way, probably break several rackets, get warned by multiple judges, and it'll be a fun time. Curios is sick. Fulton sent me like a 10 minute highlight video of him this week and he hit some crazy shots. Oh, he's he in addition to his antics is also a really, really good tennis player. So that's I mean, it's not a complete like out of out there prediction, but that's what I'm going with. Yeah, he's he's pretty incredible to watch. Very entertaining. Well, I'm going with somebody a little bit farther down the list of odds, and that is Karen Kachanov. At plus twelve thousand five hundred, he is a twenty-four-year-old Russian, six foot six, and I had not heard of him at all ever until I looked at the list. But my reasoning here is that twenty twenty was a really tough year on Karens, and I just feel like they're due for some positive regression in twenty twenty-one. <laughs> so, what better way than to start off with a bang with Karen Kachanov winning the twenty twenty-one Australian Open? That would be pretty dope. I'm in for that. I would. I'll be rooting for this guy. Yeah, a true redemption story. And also, he lives in Dubai, which is pretty sick. That is pretty cool. It's a good place to play tennis. Pretty warm year round. Yeah, I've never been to Dubai, but like it looks amazing. I'm I'm happy for the guy. Me too. Did you hear the other piece of interesting news about the Australian Open? Did not. Because of COVID, they are not having lines people at the matches. It'll be the first time in tennis history that technology will be determining whether the ball is in or out the entire match. Seriously? Yeah. Isn't that very interesting? I hope that they have a system of like doing that quickly. They do. So there'll be no player challenges. It's the same thing they always have where they have like whatever it's called eagle eye over the court and they can just tell you immediately whether the ball's in or out. I don't know what's going to be like a beep or whatever when it's out, but yeah, it's going to be like technology, hundred percent accurate, which just the reason I bring that up is because it then opens up the conversation of the strike zone in major league baseball. Cause there's been talk about technology doing that before. Just see how it goes. It's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out over the course of the tournament and see if people like it or not. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm definitely going to have to tune into the Australian open to see how that works. But since you brought up the point, I really hope that they don't do that with the strike zone in major league baseball, because there's nothing I love more than when a umpire like aggressively punches a guy out on strike three, when it's like eight inches outside the zone. Yes. Bad strike calls are hilarious. Bad strike calls are awesome. And I agree with you. The punch outs are, are amazing. I love big punch outs. Yeah. I mean, if they are going to put like a robot umpire behind home plate who has a sick punch out, then I agree with it. But if it's just going to be like some stupid side robot or like a screen telling you striker ball, I'm out. Yeah. I feel that. All right. Well, is that about all we have for today? It's not. We Ooh. have golf. Let's go. So we had the waste management open, which is always Super Bowl week. 
this year and it was a really really good tournament leaderboard was packed at the end of the day on sunday they were like when i turned it on with five or so holes to go there were two guys at 17 under and like eight guys at 16 under like 10 guys could have won in the last couple holes the reason i wanted to talk about this tournament is because we had the return of some big names who were just going to be good for the sport of golf one being jordan spieth who did not win but was in contention on sunday which is just nice to see him back in the mix again golf is better when jordan spieth is playing well so hopefully this is a trend that will continue and then secondly the winner of the tournament was the captain of team all bad boy yes brooks kepka is back had a sick chip in for eagle at 17 ended up winning the tournament at 19 under so a huge return for him after he missed a lot of time with uh, hip and knee injuries so hopefully we see him a lot in the majors this year yes el capitan is back on top he had missed three straight cuts for the first time in his career and responds by coming back and winning the tournament this weekend so happy to see that and i hope he's geared up for when the majors start i mean i i need to see brooks in the mix on sunday at the masters this year yeah which brings up another point that i forgot is that they switched the schedule so the players championship is now the first major before the masters so we're only a month away or so from the players championship which is i guess the second weekend of march so coming up pretty quick at tpc sawgrass got that 17th island green can't wait Absolutely love that, especially, you know, now that football season's over, we got that gap where there's not a whole lot going on up until baseball starts, which is at the end of, I think, April this year delayed a little bit mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's going to be nice to have some golf majors coming up yeah we're the doldrums in the middle of the nba regular season when teams just don't care at all we're gonna have a lot of load management going on a lot of guys playing no defense nba is kind of tough right now so we need what we can get let's do it all right and then one last little plug something big coming up this weekend ufc is on and there's a title fight happening we got the welterweight championship between the nigerian nightmare kamara uzman and gilbert burns which is going to be a sick fight if you're not a ufc fan you need to become one preston that includes you go ahead and tune (laughs) into that fight it's going to be sick sorry who was that second name you said gilbert burns a guy named Gilbert Burns versus the Nigerian Nightmare. I don't think I've ever heard a bigger name mismatch in a fight. Well, it's even funnier because Gilbert Burns is not American. He's he's Brazilian. Really? <laughs> yeah. Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Durinho Burns. He's nasty. Are you sure I'm he's about, not an author? I'm about I'm about to put some highlights on TV, and you will change your mind. You're going to be like, okay, this guy has a decent shot because he's nasty, dude. What are the odds? I have to take the Nigerian Nightmare, no matter so, what they are. So I, if it were up to me, if I were betting. I would bet on Kamaru Usman also. He's been the reigning welterweight champion for a couple of years now, and he is really, really good. Um, it are, there, is, are there odds on Gilbert Burns getting knocked out in less than five seconds? Gilbert Burns is plus 220. Usman's minus 285. Dude, Gilbert Burns might die. <laughs> I'm going to put on highlights as soon as we get off this. But yeah, it's going to be a really fun fight. So go ahead and check it out if you aren't planning to already. Other than that, we about good. We're good. Thank you all for tuning in once again. Don't forget us to don't forget to follow us on Apple and Spotify. Leave us some ratings and reviews. Until then, we will see you next week. Have a good day.